You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God doesn't want us looking elsewhere for direction for our life's experience or another ways to discern the will of God. God doesn't want his people to look elsewhere. And where should we be looking? Does God audibly speak to us? Well, I, I mean, there are ways that God speaks to us. I think one of the most profoundest ways, one of the most ordinary ways is God speaks to us through his word. Wouldn't you agree? Faced with a problematic situation, Saul turned to a medium for help. You likely realize that this was a poor choice. Pastor Mike explains God doesn't want you looking elsewhere for life guidance. If you look to the world to discover what is essential in life, you'll come away thinking career, money, and stuff make you happy. Striving for these things might bring momentary happiness, but not lasting satisfaction. There will always be more to obtain, and you can't even take it with you when you die. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28, as he continues his message, When God Doesn't Hear. They never disobeyed God's orders or God's word, and they just expected God to be there for him. Oh, not the case. Because again, what do we read? In verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, and these were the various ways that God, under the Old Testament dispensation, spoke to the saints of old through dreams, or by the Urim, Remember the Urim and the Thummim, those two stones that were found in the breastplate of the high priest in the ephod? And uh, they would ask God a question, and then they would choose the, the stones out of the ephod, and those would determine whether or not God wanted them to go forward or to stay where they were, or this was just one of the ways that they discerned the will of God. Or also, notice there, by the prophets, as such was the case with Samuel. You know, often they would confide to the prophets under the Old Testament dispensation. Those prophets were God's spokesmen. And uh, so God used them to speak to the kings of Israel, to the people of Israel. But on this occasion, notice, when Saul made his appeal unto God, what happened? God did not respond. And so in verse 7, Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium. And I may go to her and inquire of her. And notice, and 
remember, as I mentioned before, this was something that was forbidden by Saul early on in his administration. But now he's going against the very edict that he had put into place. Who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her? And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. We know her as the witch of Endor, right? We're probably familiar with that term. So anyway, the superiority of the opposition left Saul in quite a quandary. What shall I do? He's thinking, if only Samuel was alive, I, at least I could speak to him, and he would reveal God's will to me. You see, again, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his depression, in the midst of his demonic influence within his life, he forgot that Samuel was his adversary. And, such it, and so it is with so many people who have just bailed on God totally, totally walking in disobedience. They have no aptitude whatsoever for the things of God. And then trouble comes to knocking at their door and immediately they turn to God for their help, only to find that there's no help for them. Now, in that ancient Eastern culture, there were different ways by which the people discern the will of the gods, small letter G, okay? These weren't the true and the living God. And how would they discern the will of God? Well, by the study of stars. This is really one of the crazier ones. Study entrails and liver of animals. Wow. I'm, I'm so glad that we don't do that. Uh, the flight of birds was another way that they sought to discern the will of uh, God, or divining rods. But another one of those ways, and this is the way in which Saul made his appeal to God, one of the, those, uh, the other ways was through the consultation with the dead. And by the way, let me also add that all of these ways were demonically charged. And all of these ways and all of these methods were forbidden to the Hebrews. Simply, and why was that? Well, God's will was readily made known to all who sought him in sincerity and in truth. And listen, if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down in sincerity and in truth. You see, God doesn't want us looking elsewhere for direction for our life's experience or another ways to discern the will of God. God doesn't want his people to look elsewhere. And where should we be looking? Does God audibly speak to us? Well, I, I mean, there are ways that God speaks to us. I think one of the most profoundest ways, one of the most ordinary ways is God speaks to us through his word. Wouldn't you agree? You know, in, the, in our personal study time, and I hope that's daily, no commentaries. And listen, my, if you've been over to my house, and many of you have, my bookcases are filled with commentaries. And I use them for my craft as a pastor, and I love the insights of these men and women that have written those commentaries. But listen, let me tell you something. There is no substitute for you alone with the Bible and just reading a portion of Scripture on a daily basis and then making your appeal to the great teacher who is the Holy Spirit to open up that text of Scripture to you. There's no substitute for that. 
You know, people are always trying to give me books. I don't want you to do me a favor. Don't give me any more books. I, my wife is going to throw me out of the house. I got so many books. They're all over the place. I have commentaries that I haven't read. I got hundreds and hundreds of commentaries all over my house. Go down in my basement. I have cardboard boxes full of com I brought a bunch of commentaries here to give away just recently. I think there's a few left there. Please, on your way out, check that table where those books are and take them. Please take them. But again, the point that I'm trying to make is commentaries are all good and well, and we appreciate the insights that those commentators have given us through their writings and the value of that. But listen, let me tell you something. There is no substitute for you getting alone with God, opening your Bible, and making your appeal to the great teacher who is the Holy Spirit. Nothing can take that place. You hear what I'm saying? So you should be read daily in the Word of God. Forget about all of these self-help books. Get in the Word of God. Everything that you need to know, everything pertaining to life, is recorded for us in the Word of God. And we really, the truth of the matter is we really don't need to look elsewhere. But again, we do value the insights and the writings of these other men, holy men and women, the value that they bring to the table. But anyway... Uh, thank you for allowing me to get that off of my chest. I really appreciate that. The fact of the matter was that God did not want his people to look elsewhere for discerning his will. They're leading what God wanted to uh, do within their lives. Now, unfortunately, this is exactly where Saul had failed. What are we talking about? Insincerity and truth. The sincerity and truth part. If you're walking before God truthfully, you can expect God will speak to you. Just expect it. it. Again, going back to what I said before, it's just one of the perks about being a child of God, a Christian. And don't take my word for it. If you haven't experienced that for yourself, well, maybe you should go back and ask yourself, well, you're walking sincerely before the Lord and in truth, according to the revealed word of God. And if he isn't speaking to you, well, do me a favor. Call me on the telephone. Let me know. And we need to get together and talk about that. But you can be sure that God is faithful to do exactly that. So unfortunately, this is exactly where Saul had failed. The sincere and truth part. You see, his actions had disqualified him from God communicating with him. Now, let me give you a cross-reference for this, because this isn't something that I've invented. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 59, in verses 1 and 2, and this was a dark period of time in the history of the nation of Israel. They had turned their backs upon God, and they had gone after these other false gods. And so, even in the midst of their idolatry, when things were had gone from bad to worse, they cried out to God, they lifted up their hands towards God and they expected God to respond. But unfortunately, we read Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. So what was the problem? But your iniquities or your sin have separate, or your disobedience have separated you from your God and your sins have have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Folks, listen, let me tell you something. I, I don't know where that line is, that when we cross over it, 
you know, God bails on us. I know in the book of Genesis that we are told there, we are exhorted that my spirit shall not always strive with man. And I don't know where that line is, and I'm not going to even suggest that, you know, only God knows that, the answer to that question. But it does happen. Where God just withdraws his presence from an individual, even as he did with Saul. And when Saul made his appeal unto God, he found that God wasn't there uh, for him. And that's backed up there by that text of uh, Scripture. And so Saul, experiencing fear, such as he had never experienced before, inquires of the Lord. But each time, God refuses to answer, according to verse 6, right? We've already read that. So Saul here stands out as an example of those whose many years of self-will, no commitment to the will of God, God then has left them desolate of any thriving relationship with himself. You see, that's the effects of sin and rebellion. You know, one of my common, a fellow whose name was William Blakely, it's a little long, what I'm about to share with you, but I think it's noteworthy and worth mentioning. In his commentary, William Blakely, commenting on 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 6 and 7, he said this, Among other effects of sin and rebellion, one of the worst is a stiffening of the soul, making it hard and rigid, so that it cannot bend, it cannot melt, it cannot change its course. The long career of willfulness that Saul had followed had produced in him this stiffening effect. His spirit was hardened in its own ways and incapable of all exercise of contrition or humiliation or anything essentially different from the course that he had been following. Saul was incapable of that exercise of soul which would have saved him and his people. Most terrible effect of cherished sin. It dries up the fountains of contrition and they will not flow. It stiffens the knees, and they will not bend. It paralyzes the voice, and it will not cry out. It blinds the eyes, and they cannot see. It closes the ears, and the voice of mercy is not heard. It drives the distressed one to wells without water, to refuges of lives, to trees that are twice dead, to physicians who have no medicines, to gods who have no salvation. All he feels is that his case is desperate, and yet somewhere or other he must have help. Now, I can go on, but I guess you get the point, right? I don't think I need to you know, go on here. But that's the effects of sin and rebellion in the life of a person. And so anyway, with the failure to obtain the information that Saul sought, Saul's fears increased, and he became more and more desperate. And so what does he do? Well, he conceives this bizarre plan. He is going to seek Samuel's counsel. What's the problem? Samuel's already passed. Samuel's dead. Well, anyway, he's going to seek Samuel's counsel via of a medium who could commune supposedly with the dead. Probably, if she was communicating with anywhere, if she was just a sham, she was, if, if in fact she was communicating with anybody, it was with demons. And in verse 7 now, we pick up and read, Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman 
who is a medium, and she's located at Endor, that is the witch of Endor. And so Saul and his entourage, off to Endor they go. And in verse 8 we read, so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes so that immediately he wouldn't be recognized. And he went and two men with him. You know, probably one of the reasons why he disguised himself, remember, because he laid down the law that there was not to be any mediums or spiritists or occultists throughout the land. But now he's making his appeal to the very thing that he had prohibited, right? So that was probably one of the reasons why he disguised himself. He didn't want to freak this lady out, where she wouldn't do his bidding. Well, anyway, so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one that I shall name uh, to you. Okay, so the woman now is very cautious. Who is this guy, you know, that shows up on my doorstep here? And notice, initially, she accuses them of laying a trap for her. For in verse 9 we read, Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, not knowing that it was Saul who stood before her, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Well, Saul responds, verse 10, and Saul swore, up and down probably, to her, by the Lord. Notice, by the Lord. How crazy is that? <laughs> he swore to her by the Lord, using the Lord's name in vain, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And so the woman, verse 11, according to what's recorded there for in verse 11, we're not going to read it. She agrees, and she asks the question, who do you want me to bring up for you? And then Saul responds and says, Samuel, the prophet of God. And then in verse 12 we read, and when the woman saw Samuel, so she went through all of the rigmarole, you know, in the seance, all of the enchantments, I don't, I've never been to a seance, so I don't really know what it's like. It had been attributed to her that she raised the dead, but, I, but God is the one actually behind this. If she had ever been, the whole thing is a sham. You know, you, have you ever driven around and you see these, you know, they'll come in and tell your fortunes, and, you know, you see these neon signs in people's windows in their apartments, and, you know, I'll tell your fortune, or read the tarot cards, or whatever, and... This is probably one of the, these individuals. It's, just, it's all a sham. But if, in fact, she had had some kind of a supernatural abilities, it was demonic, it was of the devil, it wasn't of God. But she's surprised that, in fact, Samuel appears upon the scene. Because why? Because she knew that she didn't have any capacity to be able to bring back the dead to life. Only God could do something like that. So... She's probably more surprised than anyone else here. Because notice again, there in verse 12, we read, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Yeah, she cried out with a loud voice. She probably freaked out. Right? And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, And immediately she realizes now that it was Saul who stood in her presence. I don't know how she came to that conclusion. Maybe it was Samuel who told her. Maybe she received a word from the Lord. I don't know. Maybe when Samuel appeared upon the scene, 
She said, hey, do you know who you got in the other room? You know, it's Saul the king. And uh, so we're not given any insight into how she figured out that it was Saul, but nevertheless, you know, I'm reading into this now. It's only a subject to speculation. And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And so the woman, no doubt, expected her familiar spirit to appear who this familiar spirit, this demon, would imitate the voice of the departed. But when she saw a different figure, Samuel, radiant, arising from the earth, she freaked out. You see, God had intervened, allowing Samuel to come in person, demonstrating his sovereignty over the living and the dead. Now, at this point, someone may be thinking, how in the world could Samuel arise out of the earth, as is implied in our text? I mean, aren't all believers in heaven? Well, listen, remember, we're talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about the Old Testament saints. We're talking about the Old Testament dispensation. And according to Christ's teaching on this subject, like, for example, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 16, when people died, they went to a place called Hades. It was the abode of the dead. And it was divided into two different sections with an impossible chasm separating the two. In one compartment, you had those who had died in faith, known as the righteous, and their experience was that of living in paradise. And for them, it was an experience of peace and tranquility. And then in the other compartment, you had the abode of the unrighteous, those who died without faith in God. And for them, that was a place of torment. It was known in the Bible in the Old Testament as Sheol or Gehenna. It was the place of the unrighteous. And by the way, that's the reason why, but in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, just in case you were wondering about what Jesus did for the three days, you know, when he died on the cross, he rose again on the third day. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what was Jesus doing for those three days? I mean, why didn't he come back like in, an, in three hours? What was he doing for three days? Well, I think we're given a little hint, an answer to that question, in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, in verse 8. There we are told, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. So what he did for those three days? He went into Hades, and he addressed every one of those individuals who died in faith the righteous, because remember, at this time it was impossible to enter into heaven. It was only through the sacrifice that Jesus made, dying upon the cross, that satisfied God's requirements to be able to enter into that place, that abode with the holy God. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 1 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online. Just go to the Resources tab. 
Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today. And we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.